Lisa likes the window seat at night, the lights below that tell her she's nearly home. Then there's the lights she can't see, the runway lights we power to bring her plane safely into land. And because at Energia we also power all of Ireland's streetlights, Lisa's taxi home is that bit safer too. And no prizes for guessing who powers her house. Welcome home, Lisa. Energia, the power behind your power. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell. I'm joined, as always, by Matt Williamson. Matt, we've got a special one today. This is our 100th episode. Yeah, and from what I recall, our guest was our first ever guest. That's true, correct? That is true. Back in yeah. episode four, when neither one of us had any idea what we were doing. I'm, I'm not sure we do at this point either, but... Right, 96 episodes later. That's right. We do have uh, we have Sigmund Bloom to guide us through, though. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. Sigmund, of course, from Football Guys and uh, one of the hosts of the Audible there for Football Guys. Sig, how's it going, man? Oh, good. You know, this is fun because I think that while a lot of people see the end of the football season as exhaling and catching their breath, people like us just feel like it's time to go back to work and, and dig in and this is when it gets the most interesting because we are we're learning a lot and thinking a lot and it's not a moving target yet so we can think a little bit and, and come up with some, some ideas before it all gets wrecked again next year yeah we we can tell some stories as you like to say right yeah and there's plenty and the stories have been i think this year uh, more than any other year since i've been doing fantasy football as a an occupation is been the most hang on for dear life i think almost everybody that won their leagues whether it was redraft or dynasty felt like they survived uh which in some ways gets us back to the origin of football fantasy football as a derivative football because i would imagine that most teams win the super bowl feel that way at the end of the year too yeah i'd say that's that's absolutely the case we had some of course some big performances this year but so many injuries so many uh unexpected performances and it really was a matter of survival for, for so many league champions. Well, Sig, today we are going to take a look back at the 2017 season uh, with a few, a few topics that we'd love your take on. And then we'll also take a look ahead to the offseason and what is to come so we can hear some of those stories that, that you're telling yourself so far. Let's begin at the quarterback spot, though. This year we saw the breakout of a couple of second-year quarterbacks, uh, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, of course. And Wentz played so well, he, he got his team to the number one seed before his injury. Uh, and, of course, they're preparing for the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. And and now he's he's ascended to the quarterback one in a lot of people's rankings, including uh, Matt's here. He's the quarterback one in our latest Dynasty ADP from DLF. Is Wentz deserving of, of this high a spot, high a value in Dynasty leagues? 
I think he's earned it. Uh, it helps that the team keeps winning. Maybe John uh, DiFilippo won't be picked up elsewhere as an offensive coordinator. You have to think he had a hand, the quarterback coach in, in this ascent. Frank Reich's going to stay. You know, this is not going to, they're not going to be like New England losing both of their coordinators uh, to head coaching jobs. So that helps. I, you know, you expect now to them to try to keep this offense assembled around him. I'm still not sure that Deshaun Watson's arrow doesn't point up a little bit higher after what we saw. He was even ahead of Wentz during that short period that he was the starter for Houston. And then there's still Aaron Rodgers and back to basics, Joe Philbin. I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's more like name recognition at this point as he's maybe in that early autumn of his career. But I, I can buy that, although I'm not sure that quarterback one is worth that much more than quarterback four, quarterback five. And I'm not sure that that's an asset once that you can get a lot of trade currency for right now. Yeah, you know what? I agree. And I think that's a good point about Watson that his ceiling is probably the highest, you know, just because of a, a fantasy points per game with your legs situation, but at least Wentz runs. Um, you didn't even mess, mention Russell Wilson. I think he's a, a dump guy right now, though. Like, I, I think the Seattle's has dark times ahead for yeah. them. <laughs> and then the other one, who I'm really excited about, again, because of the new hiring, I would put in some offers in there for Mr. Andrew Locke, too. Yeah, well, really quick, Matt. We're going to be passing around the control of this, I'm sure, a lot. Because you mentioned it, you alluded to it. So you're invite you invited this. Do you think the game is past Pete Carroll by a little bit? I don't know. I mean, I think that style of defense isn't enough anymore. I mean, if you have Hall of Famers at seven or eight of your eleven spots, then it works. <laughs> you know, I mean, that it's an and Jacksonville's proving that too. But it's such an execution based off the you know, defense. I don't. Know, I think there is some inner turmoil there. And just the lack of a running game and the lack of things to hang your hat on, I do think it might be time to blow the thing up. And it looks like that's kind of what they're doing, although Carroll's hanging on. Well, the injuries to the defense, the the poor offensive line, no running game, like you mentioned, they're, they're getting rid of coaches, kind of making them the scapegoat. All of that just goes to show how, how great Russell Wilson is, though, right? Well, you, and, and both Russell Wilson and uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think, have been dragging Mike McCarthy and, and Pete Carroll. I think Pete Carroll did a great job setting a new tone in Seattle. And uh, Marshawn Lynch might have been more important behind the scenes than he ever got credit for, at least widely. But I, I do think that you look at Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers as uh, quarterbacks that have made their coaches look a lot better than they have been over the period that they've been there. And, you know, we'll see, you mentioned tying it back to one of the things that Matt said, Andrew Luck maybe could uh, make Josh McDaniels look good or Josh McDaniels could make Andrew Luck look good. The thing about Wilson, though, the football purists will tell you, you know, that his uneven and undisciplined and out-of-structure reliant play makes a consistent offense almost impossible. You know, that... You don't operate from the pocket all that much and everything's by the seat of your pants that you make your line look worse. And he's so good at it. He's still a great player and certainly a great dynasty asset. But that might be part of the problem, too. I mean, not that anyone wouldn't want Russell Wilson, but his style of play makes coaching difficult. Matt, you mentioned that you would be buying Andrew Luck in dynasty. I guess the narrative that we've heard over the past month or so is – if McDaniel's takes that job, it's a good it's a good sign for Luck's future, for Luck's health, uh, and it, it does 
certainly look like that's going to be the case. So what are you paying for luck? What are you offering? That's a good price. I mean, that's a good question because we could all come up with 15 names, including like Goff and Garoppolo and some of these younger guys that would be very comfortable starting on a week to week basis. So what do you give up with one of them for luck? Or do you give up 110 in this draft for luck? I mean, I'm not one to go out and buy quarterbacks, but if you're in conversations with somebody, you need a guy. I think this is the cheapest you'll ever get luck in your life or six months ago was, you know, it's going back up. Yeah, that's fair. And and that probably goes back to Sig's point about, yeah, maybe Wentz is the quarterback one, but so what? We're not going to pay quarterback one mm. prices for him anyway. Uh, let's look at the running back position, which really has been the story of the entire season. We've seen a little bit of a running back revival or actually a huge running back revival. Uh, so many relevant Rookies have hit the league over the past year. We saw Todd Gurley bounce back after a disappointing season. And even with Zeke's suspension, even with David Johnson's injury that cost him the majority of the season, it was all about running back in in dynasty leagues this year. Sig, do you see this changing your strategy as far as team building, whether it's a a new league that maybe you might be uh, drafting in or just current leagues? Are are you giving uh, giving up – assets for running backs? Are you going to start building teams around running backs? I think that we have to reckon with what's happened. One of the things that we saw this year is New Orleans showing that an offense can produce two top for week in week out. They were running as top six, top eight running backs in our weekly projections. And I don't think that's going to go away. Uh, even after Dalvin Cook went down, Latavius Murray and, and Jarek McKinnon were trading off big weeks. And I think one of the things we saw this year also is on a week-to-week basis, the wide receivers, with the exception of maybe Antonio Brown, that were expected to be every week difference makers weren't on a consistent basis. And because of that, as you said, running backs ruled the – leagues that you won i think even if anybody out there right now listening that won a championship go back and think of to your week 16 winning lineup who was the key player probably a running back Deion lewis or kareem hunt or you know it it probably wasn't one of your wide receivers i think where we're going to see the first uh evidence of this or maybe we won't and and, you know ryan you've always been a, a, a step ahead or two steps ahead of everybody in team building. And I would almost want to turn this question around and ask you because you were one of the first ones pounding the table saying you have to build around wide receivers. You have to build around wide receivers. And this year's draft class, you're just jumping ahead a, a, a little bit. It, it, I don't know that there's a wide receiver one in this class, a, an NFL wide receiver one. James Washington's having a great week in Mobile right now. Maybe he's making his case. But this year's running back class looks roughly the equal of last year. Uh, now, we have to start thinking of these running backs with the exception of Saquon Barkley, who's a, a girly Elliot Bell, you never take him off the field type, in terms of that Ingram Kamara mold. you ha- And even Georgia, Georgia and Chubb and Michelle already showed us that mold. So, but we also have to revise, you know, we've all been doing this long enough that we can remember in 2005, 2006, 2007, when we were talking about running back by committee, it was it met with skepticism you know, that teams are going to start having backfields that are split between more than one running back. Now I think that's the, the blueprint uh, fitting. And I think that we're going to have six, seven, eight running backs that are better 
bets to be week in, week out contributors in fantasy football than everyone outside of, say, the top two or three wide receivers. But will people shift their strategy in rookie drafts to reflect that? Or will folks still be taking those wide receivers high? Because that has been the orthodox view of how you build a dynasty winner. And I I think it's yet to be seen. And I I think we're going to get a a really good data point in rookie drafts this year. And I I think people are, are struggling with this right now. Don't you think that not only has there been a much better influx of young runner running backs coming to the league than wide receivers basically since 2014, but don't you think that offensive coaches now are saying the easiest mismatch, the easiest completion is the running back? I mean, even if it's Chris Thompson or, you know, Woodhead, let alone the Camaros and Lev Bells and David Johnson's. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I, I was saying based on last year's uh, draft running back class, Matt, is that what used to be the hallmarks of a, a, a scouting profile for a running back are going to be things that we say he he j- only does that. You know, he only runs well out of an eye formation and catches dump offs and screens. That's all he can do. Because I think that, and again, I'm going to point at, and I don't know if I had this conversation with you directly, Ryan, but I, I cited your leagues, hyperactive leagues, and the lineups, of a quarterback, a running back, a wide receiver, a tight end, and four flexes that might be actually peering into the future of the NFL, where the lines, we're already seeing it, between wide receiver and running back and tight end, Evan Ingram, are starting to blur to where um, deception, uh, flexibility and formation and personnel packages and creating mismatches will be much more important than an offense having these designed premeditated roles that you're looking for a player to fit exactly in that role. No, you see what a player can do and a player being able to have multifaceted game, a multifaceted game gives you that game planning. Uh, but as we were talking about before the show, unfortunately the NFL this off season seems to be trending to going back to offensive coordinators who think they're being hired to install their system. Um, so, you know, I, I think the personnel is going in one direction. The coaching might not be catching up yet, but fantasy football, actually, as much as we made fun, fantasy football was at the children's table for a long time. Fantasy football and the way we look at the game might give us insights that are, it takes a, a little while longer for some of the people in the game to get. Yeah, I think that's all well said and, and good points all around. As far as the lack of position, you talked about Ingram. We saw the same thing with Christian McCaffrey. Uh, we've got Jalen Samuels in, at the Senior Bowl this week, uh, and people don't know if he's a tight end or a running back or a fullback, and maybe it just doesn't matter. Just get him on the field and you know let them show what they can do. I, I don't know. Like you said, I don't know why we have to try to fit them into that puzzle. And like Christian McCaffrey should almost go to the wide receiver meeting room. You know, like there's a lot of those guys or Chris Thompson or, you know, and, and Sig, to your point about the, I probably told the story on here a couple of times, but it's probably been a good 50 episodes. So I'm going to tell it again, you know, the, about the, you know, being, we should be the kid table in terms of fantasy. And, and I worked at ESPN for 10 years and probably my second or third year at ESPN, I went to my editors and I was like, Hey, I, I, I play fantasy. I can help in that department. You know, let me do one more thing. And they basically were like, dude, you are a scout in the NFL. That's beneath you. You, We're not going to have you do fantasy. Two years later, they're like, hey, Williamson, why don't you write some fantasy articles for Insider? You know, like that drove the ship. It's amazing. You know, that it was it was a very a very obvious change in their priorities. 
Let's look at the wide receiver position. Sigmund, you already talked about some players who kind of disappointed, weren't there on a weekly basis. Three young guys that I had a lot of shares of. I know a lot of people built their dynasty teams around these players were viewed as disappointments this year. Uh, Mike Evans, Brandon Cooks, Amari Cooper. How are you valuing those guys in dynasty? What are you doing with those players specifically? I would imagine that Mike Evans is still a little bit overvalued despite him being somewhat disappointing because he fits physically and in terms of plotting out his production growth over the first three years at least uh, as that cornerstone dynasty player. His production dropped off this year. He still has a, a quarterback that finished the year pretty strong. James Winston, a, a productive passer. Uh, but I do think that Tampa, in some ways, it hurts Evans that there wasn't a coaching change. And some of the coaching changes that weren't made were as interesting as the coaching changes that were made this offseason. So Dirk Cutter's still there. I would guess that Tampa Bay spends an early pick on a running back. I wouldn't be surprised if it's someone like uh, Darius Geis or um, uh, Nick Chubb or you know a, a power back. Uh, and, and I think that Cutter's not going to have the kind of offense, even though we saw those attempts coming back up again. And with OJ Howard and Deshaun Jackson, who I poor Deshaun Jackson, Deshaun Jackson could still play. Derek, James Winston couldn't find him deep for some reason. So I just don't think that Evans is going to get that heavy AJ Green, Julio Jones kind of target load to support his value. Uh, Brandon Cooks is as long as Chris Hogan stays healthy or Malcolm Mitchell stays healthy. Uh, I don't know that the tar- you know, he was up and down much in the same way he was in New Orleans, but without the high peaks that he had in New Orleans. Um, and and then Cooper is what's going to be interesting is gauging the Cooper owner and how much they have revised their value of him based on the 2017 campaign. And I have a feeling they haven't much. You know, based on what he did in 2017, his value should have dropped. I don't know, you know, 30 percent or 40 percent. We could pull a number out of the air. And I think that the folks that had Amari Cooper a year ago are valuing him maybe only five or 10 percent less, which was still very high. I mean, what is top like consensus, top six, top eight fantasy wide receiver and dynasty leagues. So I think that because of that team building, again, we, which you really helped popularize, Ryan, the team building idea that you get young stud wide receivers that are going to last 10 or 12 or 13 years. And you just keep amassing them and amassing them and amassing them. People, the grip around these wide receivers is tight. And I don't think this down year is going to loosen it much. Can we stick with Evans just for one minute? Cause I want to yeah. get your guys opinion. First off, I was really encouraged how Winston finished the year, but I think Sig made great points and they do want to run the ball. Martin's going to be gone. There's going to be a power back there. Maybe it's even Carlos Hyde or who knows. But I also think Chris Godwin's going to demand targets and Howard's going to demand targets more and more. Those guys are very promising. So I have, I have a rebuilding team that I've sold off Cooks and Wilson and Baldwin. I'm totally going to scratch, but I still have Evans. What can I get for him? Well, Sig was right. He has certainly maintained his value for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, uh, this time last year, we were looking at him as basically locked in as the second overall player behind Beckham. That has changed, but he's he's still a first rounder in a dynasty startup. So he's still viewed as a top 10, top 12 player. So you can get that type of value for him. With a rebuild team, it just depends. Maybe that means trading him for three first rounders. Maybe it means targeting a dis you know maybe you go for cooper in a first rounder something like that but i i think the value is still plenty high would you rather both of you that here's a question then 
Would both of you rather have one one or Evans, or would you rather have Evans versus one two and a nineteen first? What's the value of those three assets in order? You know what I'm saying? Is that yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I'll jump. I, I I would think that after what Todd Gurley did, um, even though Ezekiel Elliott wasn't up to his 2016 level, he was still a week in week out difference maker. I would think that Saquon Barkley and yeah, you know, not, again, not to jump ahead to draft talk, and we've got three months to let the draft talk breathe. But I, I think it's fair to say that Saquon Barkley's in the conversation with Gurley and Elliott among the last like five to ten years of, of running back candidates. He's going to be drafted in the top five or eight. He's going to be drafted as a foundational back. So we can expect that the the value, the week in week out value, there. Uh, I. I I think that you would get someone thinking very hard about one, one versus Evans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say there's a, then a significant drop off to either one of those assets and one, two in a, in a 2019 first, just because, you know, we're, we're, again, jumping ahead to the 2018 rookie draft landscape, the drop off from one, one to whoever is one, two, you know, I, and, and, and unlike Ezekiel Elliott and, and, and Dallas, I don't know that there's that dream situation for a running back to fall in right now. To be perfectly honest, if you look at the kind of zero-sum game of running back touches around the league, and you look at the influx of young running backs in 2017, you look at the quality of running backs in free agency this year, you look at the influx of running backs in 2018 in the draft, I think we're going to end up in a place where there's a surplus of running back talent and a shortage of running back touches. And it may be injuries or other uh, luck bounce kind of things that determine which running backs are top 10 running backs at the end of the year and which running backs maybe aren't even in the top 20 just because of how of, of that surplus of running back talent, which is going to affect uh, like unlike this year. I mean, there's I mean, you, you almost couldn't go wrong. I mean, Samaj P. Ryan was a little bit disappointing, but if you took a running back this year, Joe Mixon was disappointing. But, you know, for the most part, these running backs were help, helping your fantasy team a lot. I don't know if that's going to be the case this year because those running backs from 2017 took up so many spots and because, you know, the, the Jarek McKinnon wants a larger role and maybe he's earned it based on how he's played, but where is that larger role? I, I don't know where it could be. All right, let's move next to the tight end spot. We've hit the other three. So we'll finish up the look back at 2017 with the tight ends and Sig, we've seen younger tight ends, uh, enter the league and make an impact. Evan Ingram was a, a top five fantasy tight end this year, and Joku and Howard both flashed their skills as well. Uh, Hunter Henry had another good season after he tied for the lead league in touchdowns as a rookie. The story has always been that tight ends, young tight ends, take two, three, four years to uh, adapt to the league, to learn the league, and to make an impact both in the NFL and on fantasy teams. So is this change? Does this change have to do with the talent level of these players coming in? Is it the way they're being used, or or is it something else? First, I'd say talent. I mean, if you're talking about um, Evan Ingram, talent, or or certainly fit for the role. And and again, this comes back to what we were talking about with positionless offensive skill players. Uh, he, they didn't, it was funny cause there was an item pretty early on in the spring. I think that the giants were going to work on him as a blocker. And it's like, why did you draft him in the first round? If you want to work <laughs> on his blocking, but then it ended up that they really weren't. Um, so I, I do think that Ingram was an excellent fit and he wasn't being trained as a classic 
two-way tight end who had to learn an offensive line position and learn to to be a route runner and, and beat NFL coverage. Uh, in Joku, I think it was the philosophy of the Cleveland organization just to get a lot of players out there and get players uh, a, a lot of reps and see what they had. Um, O.J. Howard, I think they had a bit of a luxury with Cameron Brait to have him as a second tight end and use him on specific plays designed for him. And that's what did Howard score like five or six touchdowns this year on unlimited targets and limited receptions. So, you know, they used him in a very efficient way, but at the same time, and, and this is going to end up being one of the better tight end classes we've seen in a long time. I, I don't even know if there's one tight end in this coming year's class. I know the kid from South Dakota state already hurt his hamstring at the senior bowl. Maybe he was going to be a, a, had a chance to be the best tight end in this class, but this looks more like the Hunter Henry, Austin Hooper class than last year's class. So there are still guys that are going to have that delayed impact. Adam Shaheen, Johnny Smith, um, Gerald Everett. So I still think that we haven't seen what this class has in store. And it's a good thing because outside of, of Travis Kelsey and Robert, Ronkowski and, and Ingram for the most part there weren't cons- and you know De- Delaney Walker who's getting up there in years you know there there weren't those consistent fantasy tight ends for us and, and we do need s- some to come up and, and grow into every week fantasy starters or everybody's going to be streaming tight end I don't have an answer why it used to be that tight ends took forever to develop and the guy like Ebron starting to finally come around but this crop, the young tight ends in the league right now have me very intrigued. And I like them all. I want them all. You know, like I think Engram's a star and Howard's going to be a star and Henry's undervalued as we speak. And even Ebron and some of these guys that are immensely talented. And I don't have a wonderful reason why. I mean, they're more receivers than blockers nowadays coming from college. But again, uh, it, it's really exciting. You know what else is exciting, Ryan? How to improve your shaving. And I've done this for a while. Other podcasts I've done, we were sponsored by Harry's in the past. So I got hooked on them years ago, and I'm very happy about it. I'm a much better shaver because of it. And, you know, it's still New Year's season. It's still January. So some of you are still living out your New Year's resolution. And two things that can help with your New Year's resolution, a lot of you have probably done, are to be smart, be smarter with your personal finances and to take better physical care of yourself. Harry's can help on both occasions. I mean, Harry's saves you about a hundred bucks a year, maybe even more if you're a frequent shaver. Harry's products have won countless grooming awards and they'll keep you looking and feeling great. So that makes personal sense. Harry's is all about a great shave at a fair price. That's why 3 million dudes, including myself, have already switched. Uh, Harry stripped out the unnecessary features like vibrating handles and heating blades and the bazillion lubricating strips and all those things. And the unnecessary cost, more importantly, to deliver customers one perfect razor at an amazing price. So Harry's is so confident you're going to love their blades. They'll give you a trial uh, trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com slash dynasty. All you got to do is pay for shipping. Claim your free trial offer from Harry's today. It's a $13 value for free when you sign up. All you got to do is cover shipping. Your free trial set includes a weighted, wonderful razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, a travel blade cover. So get your free trial set. Go to harrys.com slash dynasty right now. 
That's harrys.com slash dynasty. Let's finish up our look back at, at the coaching position. We've already seen lots of turnover among the NFL coaching staffs. And I think last year we, you know, we saw Sean McVay, we saw Kyle Shanahan make a quick impact, very quick and, and a major change, especially in McVay's case. So I think expectations are high for these new head coaches. Sig, which, which new head coach or which head coach hire are you most excited about from a fantasy football point of view? Yeah, it's got to be Matt Nagy in uh, Chicago. And also, what world do we live in where the Bears are the most daring team when it comes to offensive coordinator hires, uh, bringing in Mark Helfrich? And I really wonder if uh, Matt uh, Mike Vrabel was hired. You know, Tennessee hadn't lost to Kansas City. And then, can, you know, Chicago can't hire Nagy. Tennessee can hire Vrabel. Vrabel was going for Ryan Day. And I would have been excited about Ryan Day as a, a Chip Kelly disciple and what he could do with Marcus Mariota. Now, uh, Vrabel has to go back to the drawing board. And you wonder if Nagy beat him to the punch there, or at the very least, they were thinking the same way. So, Mitchell Trubisky, when the Chicago offense showed at least some inclination towards creativity, some play fakes, some ball handling, Passing on first down. What a <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Mitchell Trubisky looked like he could handle it. And then John Fox would go back to his Stone Age Neanderthal cave and just bang rocks against each other for a while. So we saw this. We can draw a direct parallel here. Jeff Fisher, John Fox, Sean McVay, Matt Nagy, Jared Goff, Mitchell Trubisky. The only question is, who's he going to throw the ball to? Well, to be determined, though. Right, when they went out and got Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods and they drafted Gerald Everett. So that's Bears. Super Cup. You know, you know what your offseason to-do list is. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I was going to say. This this time last year, we were saying, you know, Kenny Brett and Pharaoh Cooper and bad Michael Thomas, right? Yeah. I mean, the Rams, the Rams didn't have options this time last year either. And uh, and they found a way with the moves you mentioned and Cooper Cup as well. So yeah, there, there's hope. And and the other parallel we can draw there is this time last year, Jared Goff was dirt cheap. Dynasty owners had already given up on him, and that's the case with Trubisky as well. All right, let's begin our look ahead. The NFL Combine is really the next major event on the calendar beyond this week's Senior Bowl. Uh, and a lot of attention going to be on the quarterback position, specifically Josh Allen. This is this is really a strange case to me, Sig. It seems like almost everybody you talk to, I think saying that people doubt the kid would, would be too kind. Um, <laughs> but then you've got Mel Kuyper and you've got Todd McShay and you've got big draft, as we like to call them, putting him at the top overall pick to the Browns. So where do you stand on Allen? Would it be a bad pick for Cleveland, number one overall, to take Josh Allen? I mean, maybe it wouldn't be a bad pick to take a quarterback like Josh Allen, number one overall, if you aren't Cleveland. You know, um, I don't know, and I don't, and 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 this is one where I I, I almost want to sit back and hear what Matt has to say uh, more than hearing the sound of my own voice for once, because he has a lot more intimate knowledge and understanding of the way big draft which is that old school nfl thinks about it because todd haley i don't think todd haley wants a josh allen i think todd haley wants a, a kirk cousins or an alex smith or uh, in this class a josh rosen or, or a sam darnold um but 
the, but generally NFL coaches are going to believe that they can fix the little things, the quote unquote little things like making routine plays. And they want somebody who can do things that nobody else can do. Like, you know, Josh Allen with his frame and and he can make these throws that nobody else can make. And he's so into the daring out there. Uh, But I, I just don't know that that's an environment for someone like him to grow. But can I believe that an NFL team would take him number one? Absolutely. A lot of this just reminds me of Jamarcus Russell. Is that is that out of line? Yeah, I mean Jamarcus Russell had his what did he call his purple stuff or whatever he liked <laughs> yeah, to purple drink. Drink. Purple drink. Purple drink. I mean that that may have you don't hear any of those type of things with Allen, you know. So if Russell's heart and zero work ethic were you know weren't involved here, then maybe he'd be a serviceable player. I mean, I think there's a ton of risk with Allen. And honestly, I, I'm still learning. I don't have it. I haven't ranked the quarterbacks yet, but I'm not super impressed with any of them at the top so far. I don't think it's a, a strong class of, you know, future Hall of Famers or anything. But if I'm the Browns, I think there's only two tactics to take. Either make Cousins the highest paid player ever, and if he says yes, you take him, or trade for Alex Smith or Eli or whoever, somebody that you can start on opening day and orchestrate an offense and still use the number one pick on a quarterback. So I, by no means is it smart to say we've got Kaiser and Kessler and the first round pick, and that's who we're going to break camp with. You better have a legitimate starter on the roster and whoever you draft, if you draft anyone, I mean, assuming you don't sign cousins and yeah, you use a first over pick on a guy and have a backup plan that way, you know, because this has been too big of a problem for too long. This has to be the off season. It's fixed. I want to hear from both of you, which would be a better pick for the Browns at number one, overall, not, not factoring in that number four pick Josh Allen or uh, Saquon Barkley. I, I think I am actually like finally coming around to the idea that as great as Barkley is um, and how he gives you versatility in your offense because you don't have to swap him out. I don't know that there's that much of a tactical advantage now uh, if you have a Kamara and an Ingram instead of one back that combines both. And with the quality and depth of this running back class, I, I just don't see it being Barkley. You know, Maybe it's Bradley Chubb or, or Minka Fitzpatrick or a player that gives you – you know, a, a bookend to to Miles Garrett or a player that gives you that ultimate versatility in the back end of the defense that allows your defensive coordinator so much uh, room to play with because you have that jack of all trades back there. So I, I think that because of the nature of position value, I'm finally coming around to the idea that it just doesn't make sense to take a running back in the top five. It's just it, it, it you miss too many opportunities to build your team elsewhere. And that doesn't mean that uh, the giant, uh, you know, the Giants or the Browns or the Colts uh, won't do it. You know, and that's that's a whole other thing to fast forward is the idea of Saquon Barkley in a Colts uniform, like bringing back the days of Edger and James. But I would guess that if the Browns don't settle on a quarterback number one, then um, it, it must mean they either sign Kirk Cousins or there's some sort of malpractice going on because, as Matt said, it's time to end end this shenanigans, these shenanigans, this this charade of, you know, how many more names are we going to add to that jersey? Hopefully, one or two at the most. Yeah, and I'm basically in the same camp as you, Sig, except for this is the asterisk to me for a couple reasons. First off, 
again, I need more to I need more homework to do, but I think Barkley's the best running back prospect I've ever seen. I mean, better than Zeke and Gurley and going back to Adrian Peterson. I mean, since I've been the last 15 years that I've been getting paid to do this for a living, I think I'll take Barkley coming out of school over any back I've seen at the same stage of their development. And, but I can't take him at one. The only reason I can take him at one is going back to what I said. If we sign Cousins, which I don't think Cousins is going to play for Cleveland anyway. So I don't think that's going to happen. But if you go into the draft with Alex Smith and all these picks, I'm drafting a quarterback at one and I'm taking Barkley at four over Minka or Chubb, even though they have more positional value because someday I'm going to hand this thing over to Darnold or Rosen or whoever, and I want to hand it to that guy. All right. I don't know if we can solve the Browns problems today. So let's move on (laughs) to a topic that both of you are truly experts on the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, looking ahead to free agency and the marquee free agent, at least as far as fantasy owners are concerned is Le'Veon Bell. Sig, it seemed like we had some bad news. If you're a Steelers fan there for a couple of days, Peter King mentioned the Raiders being a favorite. Uh, We saw Ed Bouchette, Steelers beat writer, longtime Steelers beat writer, basically say he thought he was gone. And then today we we started hearing some good news that maybe they were close on a a new contract. Do the Steelers even want a long-term deal with Le'Veon? Yeah, right. This is a, quite the moving target. And I wish I could remember who it was in my Twitter mentions that it said that um, right before Antonio Brown signed his long-term deal, the Steelers were leaking a lot of negative stuff about him, too. And there was talk about, well, this is a team souring on him. And uh, I suppose there's a question, too, of whether the Steelers – Yeah, I, I think that being Steelers fans growing up in Western Pennsylvania, you get spoiled in, in some ways because players want to play for the Steelers. You know, um, No doubt. Keenan Lewis is the only guy I can think of that like, when it, it, there was like a sh- short pause there, but players, there's a value. It's not even a hometown discount. It's just the Steelers want to play for the players want to play for the Steelers. And I wonder if we haven't seen the pendulum swing back. Look, what Bell said, I, I'm, I'm not going to try to parse too much, but what Bell said was pretty clear that he, he expects the team he to reach a, a, a deal. And uh, I, I'm going to rely on that. Uh, even though Ed Bouchette, who I trust, Ed Bouchette's been covering the Steelers since I was in elementary school. And he, every time Bell would come up in his chat from two days ago, he was saying, I don't see the Steelers doing the tag. I don't see them coming to a long-term deal. Uh, but uh, I would expect that Bell's giving us something we can rely on. And it would make sense for him, you know, to obviously whatever's going on behind the scenes, the walkthrough, he knows he has a culture in Pittsburgh that's going to tolerate him. And it, it, this is far from the first thing that had to be tolerated. And he's also in an offense. He's, he knows Randy Fickner. He knows the staff. He's in an offense that is going to embrace him and not try to change him. So I would say that we should expect, I would say it's at least like 65, 70% based on his comments that he's going to sign. I have no idea why he would say that. I, it, it doesn't help his bargaining position. It doesn't. It, it, there, there's no strategic reason for him to say, "I think there's going to a, de- a deal is going to get done and everyone's going to be happy." Um, it's it, to me, it sounds like a, a change in tone from him and one that is optimistic. And uh, I would say he's going to remain probably along with Todd. It's going to be Bell and Gurley as the two most valuable players, and 
let's see who the quarterback is for the Giants. You know, I can't put Am- and Odell Beckham on a level with them, at least. If, now, if you do dynasty in a seven-year window or a 10-year window, then Beckham should be higher. But if you do dynasty in a three-year window or a five-year window, it's Bell and Gurley. And David Johnson's in a terrible situation all of a sudden, or he'd be in the conversation too, I think. Oh, well, that I guess that goes to my next question regarding Bell. I, I just wondered... These uncertainties we have with his contract, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's safe to – the concern in recent years has been the injuries. People have pointed to the injuries. People have pointed to the suspensions. And now we're almost two years beyond either of those issues. So I don't know how long we can keep pointing those things out. But any uncertainties you want to to have with Bell – would you recommend pivoting off him to one of these running backs? Because a a year ago, again, the pivot was, can you get Zeke? And other than that, that was it. Now we've got Fournette and we have Hunt and we have Kamara and we have uh, Barkley and all these other options. If you want to get out of the bell business, you've got some choices. Would you recommend our listeners do that? I would. Uh, I mean, Ed Bouchette is very, very dialed in. He's more dialed in than anyone here. Like Sig said, my whole life, Sig's whole life, Ed has, you know, covered the team. People tell him things. He's a great dude. I know him pretty well. It it shocks me that they would take this route, though. I mean, to me, the easy answer with Bell, even though Ben's going to be back the next two, three years, most likely, is you franchise him again. You run him into the ground again. In a deep running back draft, you use a second or third round pick on somebody. And because James Conner is somebody you can't trust anymore either. And you send Bell on his way. And I think he's still an elite player on an elite offense. And they've catered their blocking to his strange style, his unique style, his excellent style, however you want to look at it. But you could always go back. Um, I just think that it's been more of a grind for him than ever. First off, I think he's immature. I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't, you know, I think he's just an immature young kid who came in the league very young. Um, and I also think that his best days are slightly behind him. You know, that he was amazing at the end of last year. And this year he was just almost amazing. You know, like because of the extreme workload, I think you'll look at his career and the highest point will be right before he got injured at the end of last year, NFC championship game style. And he's still great, but there's a lot fewer chunk runs and every yard's a little harder to come by. And boy, he's had a lot of workload. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, I could see moving on from him, but it, it, you have to be sure of what you're getting. And I, I think that if you're getting Fournette and another piece, I'm not sure about that. If you're getting Kareem Hunt and another piece, I'm not sure about that. Bell for Barkley straight up, I can ad- endorse. Um, you know, I, I just think that the potential, even over the next year or two, and, and I believe fantasy football is about winning championships. And... Le'Veon Bell, even if it's just for another year or two, gives you that potential. Ask anybody who had Todd Gurley. I mean, how many leagues this year came down to who had Todd Gurley in the playoffs? You know, Bell can still be that kind of player as long as Roethlisberger is there. And as, as Matt mentioned with David Johnson, he'd be in this conversation if Arizona's offense could resemble an NFL offense. You know, they, I don't know what that's going to look like. So I would, I'm, I'm more inclined to ride Le'Veon Bell into the sunset. But that being said. Uh, I would be open while there's still this uncertainty to to hearing what people with the one one would be willing to do. Uh, but I, I would be sure not to undersell an asset that it has been and will be at least for a few more years a championship winning asset. 
I think that's a very fair point. And what what really caught me there was your Barkley talk. What we can infer there is you value Barkley and Dynasty over Hunt, over Kamara. Is is that fair to say? Where where are you yeah. putting Barkley? Yeah. Is it is it the big three and then Barkley? Basically. And I think there's an argument that he's worth more than David Johnson because of David Johnson's situation, but we don't know the situation Barkley's going to go into. But one of the nice things about the draft, you know, Lamar Jackson, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a, a version of the Bloom 100, an early version uh, next week, even though it's going to look entirely different by the time we get to the draft. Um, but I'm going to do an early version. And one of the things that I'm, it's so difficult to rank players right now. Um, but one of the things that we can use as a, assumption or some a guiding principle is that this is going to sound so silly like almost circular right the teams that take players will want those players right like the team that wants that takes lamar jackson is going to be willing to build an offense around what lamar jackson can do you know the team yeah the team that the team that takes saquon barkley is going to take him with a high enough pick that they're going to plan on making him the centerpiece of their offense and that's why I would have him so high. In addition to what Matt was saying about, I mean, and I think it's it's not scout hyperbole to say that he is in the conversation with, you know, we can look over the last twenty years. You mentioned Adrian Peterson, Ladainian Tomlinson, Todd Gurley pre injury, Ezekiel Elliott. This is the kind of running back prospect we're talking about. I would offer if you guys had Bell, or if I had Bell, I would offer you guys. Bell for Dalvin Cook and your 19 first. Do both of you say yes? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but probably. Okay. I mean, I, from my understanding, I would have to call up Dr. Gene. My understanding, he had the, like a clean ACL, like wasn't uh, one that is, is you're more worried about knee stability. Um, I'm guessing Jarek McKinnon is gone from his comments. Latavius Murray's maybe there for one more year. I, I am curious. I mean, I'm, I, 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 I wish that the Vikings or be more willing to maybe um, promote their quarterback coach than go all the way back uh, in terms of offensive coordinator to Daryl Bevel. But I, I think that Dalvin Cook showed us enough, and I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, I would say that Dalvin Cook, if Dalvin Cook hadn't gotten hurt, he would be right there with Alvin Kamara as the most mm-hmm. valuable rookie running back. And if it's a 0.5 PPR league, he probably would be the most valuable rookie running back. So I think he would be your aim if, if you're looking for a 2017 rookie over Leonard Fournette, over, uh, again, depending on your scoring system, Alvin Kamara, uh, Christian McCaffrey, you know, Joe Mixon. So I, I think that's a starting point if you're looking in this class. The other big free agent in this class is Kirk Cousins, a guy we've already mentioned. Washington has gotten away with franchise tagging him the past couple of years. It seems like that's not going to be feasible financially this year. So if he wants to leave, he's going to be gone. Matt, you said you don't think he plays for Cleveland. I I would just love to hear some predictions from both of you, how this does play out and where he ends up landing. I'll put a chip on Denver. That's a that's a good chip. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one, especially when you see John Elway saying, "Well, I don't know if we're going to have Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. We got to look at our cap and look at what's out there." And I read that as saying, "Oh, we're so focused on Kirk Cousins right now that I can't commit to anything until we know what's going to happen there." Jacksonville's interesting. Jacksonville ha- has to at least, you know, how I don't know how aggressive Tom Coughlin and company would be about trying to seize the Super Bowl window, but Kirk obviously wouldn't be great for his fantasy prospects. But I think that's a, a team we have to consider. And really what's fascinating to me is we have not seen a quarterback offseason like this that I can ever remember. 
And there's so many moving parts and there's so many ifs and something like Dave Gettleman saying he sold on Eli Manning. So, you know, maybe that's something we start to pencil in. There's so many teams with some uncertainty at court, the quarterback position. And then based on how those teams handle the uncertainty, that will cause dominoes to fall elsewhere. There's the draft. So I would say Denver, Cleveland, Jacksonville, and, and Washington still has to be in the conversation. But uh, yeah. Denver, if I had to handicap it, I'd say 40, 50% Denver at this point. A little birdie told me the Jets might do their, their best as well. If I'm Cousins, though, Jacksonville's the most appealing. Although John Elway could maybe do his Elway voodoo on him, you know? <laughs> I mean, Denver Denver seems like a fun landing spot at first, but if it comes at the if it comes with both Thomas and Sanders being gone, if it comes at the expense of those guys, and then you're, I don't even know who your number one wide receiver is. Is it Benny Fowler or, right, right. or Cody Latimer or Carlos Henderson or someone? And of course we've got free agency with a, a, a stacked free agent wide receiver class. Uh, we've got the draft, which not so stacked at that position. Uh, so w- they've got some chances to add some, some players there, but uh I wonder how appealing it would be sans those two guys. Good point. But maybe they draft Barkley then at number four. Yeah. And and what and what did Washington really have at the end of this year anyway? So yeah. Washington without cousins would be a disaster. Yeah. That's a fan, that could be a fancy Baker Mayfield. Could be. Do do you have a, a Baker Mayfield take? It seems like everyone does. Oh, I mean not quite to the extent of Lamar Jackson. But I do think that the team that takes Baker Mayfield is going to have to see him for what he is and not what they want him to be. Um, and he's, again, the assumption being the team that drafts him wants to use him, the player he is, and not try to make him into a, a, a traditional NFL quarterback. Uh, but I do share some of the concerns. It's Oklahoma. I mean, how many Oklahoma passing game players have worked out in the last 10 or 12 years, the NFL? It just doesn't seem like it's a pass offense that prepares players for the NFL. But that being said, more college concepts, more merging between the NFL and college game on the offensive level. And maybe maybe it'll happen. But I see him throwing to a lot of open wide receivers. I see his offensive line giving him a lot of time to throw. I see him getting a chance to make those kinds of plays. You know, when you're watching a game on Sunday and, oh, they gave the quarterback forever. Of course he was going to find somebody. That's a lot of Baker Mayfield's game. I don't see a lot of plays that he's making that are necessarily NFL simulation. So, I, of course, he's dominating senior bowl practices. He should. Sig, let's wrap up today with some strict dynasty talk here. One player that you are looking to acquire on every dynasty team this offseason. Pierre Garçon. Bing. I like that one. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, he's cheap. He could he could certainly still be the wide receiver one on that roster. Uh, again, we talked about a little bit the free agent class. We saw some news today that uh, Jarvis Landry is unlikely to remain in, in Miami, and we've got Allen Robinson, and we have, uh, oh, I don't even know. The, the, several of those 2014 receivers are hitting the uh, the free agent market. So San Francisco, I would think, is going to bring in one of those guys. But Garcon is, is still he, – he's been a target hog everywhere. He's succeeded in that offense uh, already in the past couple of years, both in uh, the early part of the season and uh, in past seasons in Washington. So I like that call. What about one player you're looking to sell maybe even before it's too late? Jordan Howard, and maybe I'm wrong here. 
you know, because I've, I've never been sold on Jordan Howard. And I, I understand that he has, a, he's an asset and, and he translated for what John, John Fox, Matt Walden put it so well. that It was like, he's another Stephen Davis for John Fox. And that's great. But you know, the days of Stephen Davis, the NFL are over. And I think again, with uh, Mark Helfrich, with a, a, Matt Nagy, with a different kind of offense, I would expect Tariq Cohen to finally, on a game-in, game-out basis, play the kind of role he should have been playing all along. Now, will Jordan Howard still have some 20 carry for 120 yard and two touchdown games? Sure. But will he be a consistent every week play? I don't know. And I feel like he's not the direction the NFL is going. He's where the NFL has been. If I could trade Jordan Howard for a mid, late first round pick or two or another piece or otherwise get it, trade him at value based on what he, how he well made it trade him at value based on how he's produced. So is the person that holds Jordan Howard factoring in the idea that he doesn't have a, a stone age coach anymore, or is, is he looking at the production of Jordan Howard through the first two years of his career and say, well, how good could he be if this is how good he was in his first two years? So would you both rather have a 19 first than Howard? Not necessarily a 19 first because of the time discount value, but mm-hmm. you know, um, the 20, 18 number four number five pick probably you know if i'm getting darius geis or or um would you trade him for sony michelle right now i would consider that i mean if you're looking for this year's alvin kamara i think that's i think that's your best bet for this year's alvin kamara it's just i would wish i wish i could fast forward and see who's going to draft him but if i knew that yeah you know i i I mean if i i would be absolutely open to it I've got one for both of you. Uh, Jordan Howard and Derek Henry had uh, very similar ADPs in January, according to uh, mm-hmm. our stuff at DLF. Which one of those guys are you taking? Ooh, it's really close because neither thought, one catches the ball. I thought that might be a slam dunk. Henry is Henry's trending up. You know, he he ended yeah. the season well. Of course, he had the he had the big game against uh, the Chiefs when they refused to run Kareem Hunt and the the Titans put their comeback hopes on Derrick Henry's shoulders and, and that worked out well. Uh, so yeah, Henry has, has jumped him. He's running back 13 in our ADP. Howard is running back 14, but they're, they're pretty close together. The Titans should add a woodhead though. Right. Right. I'm kidding. That's I, I that's yeah, right. That's a good one. So, yeah. And I, I think that I, I wish I knew who Tennessee was going to hire as an offensive coordinator, but I really right. like Vrabel's instincts going after Ryan day. And I do think that, while Henry has some of the the lore of the unknown, um, Howard's known is pretty good. My worry about Henry, and I'm almost coming all the way back around, because as much as it, I, I was too much of a Henry detractor coming out of Alabama, I saw him as a running back that needed a little bit of a runway and a running back that could be stalemated. Uh, I actually, you know, but I thought Jordan Howard is going to be a similar kind of running back. And he's shown, I think, a little more in the ability to find cracks and and get it out wide. And uh, whereas J- Derrick Henry, too many times that I've watched him this year has been contained. But is this a, a case of Todd Gurley with the Jeff Fisher Rams where put Derrick Henry in an, a competent offense? And isn't it funny, by the way, that I, me and others made fun of exotic smash mouth. And then after 2016, we're like, oh. Hey, I was wrong. And then everybody's like, oh, well, actually, actually, that was what I expected. So 
I think the interesting thing is both Henry and Howard are at inflection points in their value, and they're going to either bounce back up, they're going to be up in the top 10 at the end of 2018, or they're going to fall off, and this will be the time you wish you had traded them. And I think that's where the, what the uncertainty reflects. But the, I, I guess that Henry is, has more inherent value right now, as you outlined, because of the way that he's been trending up. Yeah, I think if you can get Darius, Darius guys for either one, I think you're doing well. I look at Howard and think he'll be a running back too until he dies. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> that's Lamar Miller though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather have Howard on a real team though. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Sure. All right. Well, uh, it was a great 100th episode. Thanks to Sigmund Bloom from Football Guys. Uh, Sig, you, you mentioned the Bloom 100 early version coming out next week. I'm, I'm excited about that. One of my favorite articles of every offseason. Uh, I read it more than once and, and use that in, in drafts and everything else. So make sure all of our listeners, I hope they do already, but make sure they know where they can find your work. Yeah, footballguys.com, the Audible. You know, we'll be uh, coming back online soon with the Audible. I have a lot of draft guests. I'm sure we'll get Matt on to talk about this class and free agency and a number of other the topics that are stimulating for us. And uh, it's just great because if you're, again, if you're like us, and even though the football season's almost over, you're consuming more football than ever, then Football Guys is a place for you. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again, Sig. We'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprint.